The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating tenure through the community. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trinity Long Room Hub online. My name is Eve Patton. I'm director of the Trinity Long Room Hub. And today we are uh, celebrating our uh, latest faculty in focus session. And these sessions are what we've introduced so that we have a chance to catch up with some of our colleagues, uh, the scholars of the arts and humanities community in Trinity to find out a bit about uh, how their work is going and, and what they're currently researching or publishing. Uh, and uh, for this session, I'm very pleased that we have with us Professor Michael Cronin. Michael is the uh, chair of French in Trinity, but of course uh, has expertise across many languages and is also uh, a distinguished scholar in the field of translation studies. I remember Michael back when I first read uh, Translating Ireland from 1996. I think it was the first time that I'd really understood the extent to which translation uh, is a political activity and not just a language practice. Uh, since then, Michael, of course, has written very many books on uh, translation, on language, and indeed on ecology, including his groundbreaking work on Irish and ecology. Uh, but at present, he's been working on a book uh, for Cambridge on eco-travel, journeys in the age of the Anthropocene. So I look forward to hearing a little bit more about that. Uh, Michael's going to be in conversation today with Barry McRae. And Barry is a professor, Kyo professor, Kyo family professor, I should say, uh, of Irish studies at Notre Dame. Uh, he is also a professor in literature and in Romance languages, uh, and also the author of many distinguished works on these topics, including the 2015 brilliant intervention on European language culture, languages of the night on minor languages uh, in the European literary imagination. And again, a really groundbreaking piece of work. Um, so it's, it's terrific to have you with us, Barry. You are, of course, currently our visiting fellow in the Trinity Long Room Hub. And to everyone watching who can see Barry, uh, I just want to, uh, to point out that uh, he cut his hair himself a man of extraordinary talents, not only as a scholar, but uh, with a future as a barber, I think, Barry. Um, we are going to listen to Barry and Michael talking uh, about language, translation, research. And as always, if you have questions or you would like to make comments, you can use the Q&A panel at the bottom of the screen, or again, uh, if you're listening on Facebook, in the panel on Facebook. Um, so we will welcome your questions, which Barry will take a little bit later on in this session. Um, but for now, everyone, do enjoy the conversation. And Barry, I'll hand over to you. Thank you very much, Eve. Um, I'm delighted to be here, um, not just showcasing my, uh, my new haircut, but um, to do this event, and especially with uh, you, Michael, because I followed your work for a long time, as a lot of us have. Um, it's not an easy task. Uh, I was thinking over the weekend about how to uh, approach this conversation, but your work, as Eve said, you know, you are Mr. Translation Studies um, in Ireland. Um, not only you've also brought translation studies more generally in, you were one of the pioneers to bring it in new directions, I think, um, its overlap, especially with eco-criticism. Um, but you're also really, in, in my view anyway, a comparatist. You are um, a practitioner of comparative literature, both in the sense that you draw on examples from different linguistic traditions, um, but also that you're interested in core conceptual problems that are not uh, nationally bound, although it includes nationalism. So I was trying to think where we could start, and maybe I thought we would go right before we talk about the two most recent books, um, go right back to the beginning. and. I suppose for every comparatist, the calling comes out of a, an experience of linguistic diversity or contact at some point. So maybe you might tell us, you know, how did you get mixed up in all of this? You're muted there, Michael. Um, 
Yeah, um, thank, thank, thank you very much, uh, Barry, for the introduction. Uh, I think to some extent the, the origins of this um, do begin in the family story, um, which was that my mother was very uh, interested in, in, in Irish, um, in, the, in the language, the literature, it was very much a, you know, a, a part of, of, of my background uh, growing up. Um, and her mother in turn, had um, worked as an English teacher in France uh, during the First World War uh, in, in, in Dijon um, and then went on to, she was particularly interested in, in, in the violin, uh, went on to study violin in, in, in Germany. Um, so, uh, but she, she died when my mother was quite, quite young, but what she left behind her was this sort of a, a legacy of stories that my, my mother remembered. Um, and these stories were, you know, to do with the, 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 the French and, and, and German traditions. And so I think to some extent it was the kind of the, the, the presence of those sort of different and, and, and competing um, stories that were very much part of that kind of, of, of interest that I had in um, a kind of an openness to, to, to other places. I mean, it was a kind of an image that I used in, in my second book, which is about the, the role of, of, of multilingualism and travel writing. And it was the rambling house um, that um, my grandfather's uh, house in North Kerry, uh, near Lake Snow, was known as a rambling house because uh, musicians and, and storytellers would come in there uh, once a month uh, and in exchange for telling stories, playing music and so on, would sort of get bed and board. Um, and that notion of, of, of the rambling house um, for me was um, one that I found extremely suggestive, you know, the, the, a kind of notion, not so much the kind of the prison house of languages as the rambling house of, of, of language and where language and languages could, could take you. Um, so I think this was the kind of the, 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 the template that was there from, from, from early on that, that um, prompted my interest in in, 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 in different languages and different, different cultures. So then you did uh, French and English in Trinity and uh, a PhD on uh, two Quebec writers, uh, is that right? Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting in, 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 in Quebec was because I, I did my master's work on, on two sort of French experimental uh, writers, um, Georges Perec and Gounod. Um, uh, what I would like to, I, I want to continue looking at sort of uh, experimental writing and, and thinking about the, the, the experimental nature of, of prose, but in a slightly different setting. Uh, and David Paris, who was um, teaching the Trinity at the time, stressed, I look at, at Quebec literature. And when I started reading these Quebec novelists, I was astonished. I thought, you know, these are uh, novelists um, who are writing about things that I feel uh, about the relationship, you know, between place and, 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 and language, uh, questions around uh, identity, the kind of dislocation of, of you know, intercolonial relationships and so on. Um, but they were doing this in, 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 in French. Um, so uh, that was uh, an opening to um, a whole other way of uh, accessing the, 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 the French language, because I, I suppose what, drew me to French from, you know, uh, secondary school onwards was this was uh, a language, uh, sort of a language of the concept, you know, uh, a, a language that, that had a kind of a, a way of, of, of interpreting and engaging with, with the world that I, I found um, extremely uh, compelling um, because I found that the other languages that I had at my dis disposal uh, and, and, and English provided me um, often with uh, a kind of an, an empirical engagement with, with, with the world that was very deeply found. But what I found there in French was this sort of uh, conceptual uh, sense. And this was something that was um, ex extremely important in, in, in Quebec literature, that kind of interface um, between certain kinds of empirical traditions and, and, and conceptual ones. If you just, we might digress on that point for a moment because it's it's so interesting. I mean, um, <clears throat> it is one of the characteristics of French, isn't it, that it's a language with a that feels like it has some sort of conceptual mission um, or you know vocation, um, and this does inflect the literature in a way that it's um, it seems to me anyway much less grounded in the vernacular than um, English literatures are. 
um, the English literature. So, so usually American Irish, they are connected to. to um, do you think that affected your way of thinking that this early exposure to French prose and the kind of ideology underpinning French prose affected your very conceptual way of thinking? Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think, you know, it's it's partly sort of a family story as well. My, my mother was, was terribly interested in, in talking about politics and about uh, writing. And, you know, she, she would spend you know, days um, in, in the kitchen. We had, we had a kind of clothes dryer, you know, uh, one of these things with a lid, you know, you put the clothes into it. And, and she would she would sit in this and just just talk, you know. Um, but it was it was very much in a kind of a, um, a, a conceptual way. It was um, and I think to some extent for me, when I began to discover, um, I remember reading Simone de Beauvoir's Ma the, the Mandarins when I was in in, in, in fifth year in, in secondary school, and you know find the experience absolutely transformational. That these were people uh, who were in, engaged. In, in ideas, intellectual interests, and, and and who wanted to change the world in, in, in particular ways. Um, so the, the sense of um, and, and picking my way uh, through a kind of an anthology of, of French writing when I was in, 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 in sixth year, it was called A la Manière de, it's kind of a, a book that was given out to French secondary school uh, kids uh, with extracts from great French writers, and they were kind of to imitate this. And it was a, you know, an extract from Yvette Chez Swan, um, and I had this kind of blue and red uh, shorter Harab's dictionary, and I was trying to piece my way through through this this document. Makes sense. And, and when I did, I, I remember this the sense of just uh, almost being kind of ravished by something. You know that that it, it was and, and it was it was a possibility um, to uh, to heighten. Your sensitivity to, to to the world, but to do so um, through the power of, of, of the concept. The way he was, he was constantly pulling back from something to to, to look uh, to try and make conceptual uh, sense of it. So I, I think that kind of of that dual movement um, was something that I, I just found utterly uh, com com compelling, um, and that um, it's it's something then you know. Um, that, that continued on for me, and I, and I, which meant that at times, um, you know, in, in in Irish life, because I I think that um, Irish public life isn't always very welcoming to the, the conceptual. It it, it 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 tends to favor things that are, are very rooted um, in in the, the imperative vernacular, and so on. And, and that of course can be a strength. I, mean, I think we, we we've turned into an aesthetic strength, but I, I think where there's there's uh, the, the shortcoming. Is that that often there's, there's a failure to um, perceive, I think, wider frames of, of reference, wider grids of understanding, which would would save us sometimes. I think for endlessly repeating the same kinds of tropes um, around things. So, so you did move yourself then um, into these wider frames. Um, I suppose your career then intellectually took a turn from what we might call literary criticism into these bigger frameworks that you're talking about and started including Ireland as a as a, a subject that you knew you didn't it wasn't a ground up movement Ireland was something you brought in later after you'd established these this sort of external frame for how to think about literature language diversity contact and all those things and um, it seems to me and correct me if I'm wrong that you then you developed this let's call it kind of French style um, framework that, that you then used as a lens to look at um, aspects of Irish cultural and linguistic life through. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, ab ab absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of the things that became, um, a, 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 you know, apparent to me is, you know, when when I began to do uh, some, some, and it, it partly came to the doctoral work because I was looking at the, the, the relationship between uh, French and English in, in, in Quebec and looking at how the, the Quebecers were, were, were conceptualizing and thinking about this relationship. Um, and then that caused me to reflect about the relationship between uh, English and, 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 and Ireland, and English and Irish in Ireland. Uh, and then uh, I, I suppose as, as a result of that, then uh, thinking um, more widely about this, this, this notion of, of um, of, of translating, tr translating between um, different languages and, and different cultures. And I thought, you know, 
this is a way of thinking about uh, Irish culture um, that, you know, in, in, in this kind of translational paradigm, um, that it seemed to me hadn't really been sort of properly addressed before. And, and of course, the more that I began to look at the translation of the paradigm, um, and, you know, everything from the kind of the early medieval period um, to the late 20th century, uh, I find traces of this paradigm uh, everywhere. Uh, and I think that the, the thing that came out of that work has, has remained, I suppose, part of my preoccupations, you know, throughout my, my writing career, um, which I, I try to capture in, in this notion of, of the microspection in, in, in one of my books, is, is the kind of the notion uh, that often in, in certain theories around what I would call macrocosmopolitanisms, the, the, the idea that, you know, uh, you find the great cities of, of modernity, uh, New York, Paris, London, and so on, where you, which you, you bring together these ingredients from the kind of the ethnic storehouses that are lying in, in, the, in the peripheral regions, and then they come together, uh, and there's this kind of, you know, this, this fusion, and we, and we get these kind of great artistic and aesthetic movements. Um, whereas I think, more interested in what I call cosmopolitanism from below, um, uh, looking at you know at, at particular uh, places, uh, looking at smaller uh, units, um, and seeing how um, rather than seeing them as kind of uh, receptacles of some kind of you know ethnic uh, or ethnocultural purity, uh, that on the contrary that they're always already uh, informed by these translational influences from from everywhere. So it was to try and I, I think rehabilitate as well. Uh, a lot of uh, spaces for you know a, a particular kind of uh, discussion around uh, cosmopolitan openness that, that, I, that I felt hadn't happened um, hitherto. And in that work, you made um, an intervention in yet another field, a very significant one in post-colonialism, which then has been a, a thread. Uh, post-colonial studies has been a thread that continues then through your work. And um, you know, you especially, at least as, as I've understood it. Um, um, deconstructed the idea of Europe as a kind of metropolitan straw man, the idea that Europe was just this big metropole in the middle of the world. Um, uh, whereas actually one of the things that you show is in, not only with Ireland, but in other ways too, is that there are what we might call colonies within, but other life worlds within Europe. You, you complexified and in some ways deconstructed this um, center and binary, center and periphery binary um, that was common. Do we want to um, say a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think one of the things that, 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 that I realized when I began to, you know, I was kind of working on the, on the Irish case, but of course, as I was working on the Irish case, I was you know, reading about what was happening uh, elsewhere in, in these islands and then, and then further afield. Um, and, and what I began to, 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 to realize more and more um, was, uh, there was a kind of false homogeneity. This, there was this thing, for example, called, called Europe. Um, and then I began to look at the kind of language histories and translational tra transactions in Europe. Um, this turned into an extraordinary kind of heterogeneous thing with all kinds of different uh, power relationships in Brittany and France and Spain, um, in, 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 in Central and Eastern uh, Europe. So that um, so the, the notion of um, that there was, this thing, a kind of a European language, was 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 simply nonsense when, when you began to 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 to, to look into it, um, and I, and, I, and I, to some extent, I mean, the, the the main thing for me that came out of that was partly to kind of problematize, you know, a, a certain kind of you know facile uh, post-colonial critique and, and the, the terrible neglect of linguistic complexity. Uh, and, colonial critiques, but secondly, I think um, to show that the, the notion of, of, of minority is always, a, it's always a relational concept, it's not a static concept, that, that, that languages, um, there, there's nothing intrinsic about languages that makes them uh, find themselves in minoritized positions, um, that, you know, it's, it's, it always depends on the particular kind of, of power relationship. So you can word languages like, like, like Arabic, the speakers of Arabic, it can be profoundly and ruthlessly, uh, you know, marginalized in, in, in societies such as, you know, contemporary aspects of the French educational curriculum, um, which has nothing to do <laughs> with the status of this language, but it's all to do with the particular kinds of power dynamics that obtain in society at, 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 at any moment. So I think that to, to try and, and free 
the, the notion of minority minoritization uh, from some kind of you know teleological or biocultural destiny I think was was important for me to uh, in in, a, in, a, in addressing or in, in mounting that that kind of of, of, of critique um, of the, the, the homogenizing uh, of, of of places and and and, and peoples. I suppose it was a natural step from um, this interest in what we might call cultural ecology um, to ecology in a more straightforward way. And that's that's where your work is in, has gone in recent years. And eco-criticism is now, um, you're making fairly substantial interventions in that field also. Um, but it's not a facile parallel that you make between linguistic diversity and biodiversity. It's um, Seems to me something more conceptually complex. I mean, it's it's but it's a still a fairly organic continuation of um, of your interest you know, between post-colonial cultural ecology, we might call it, you know, um, and uh, eco-criticism. Um, could you explain that better than I just did? Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, you're you're absolutely right, uh, Barry. I think to point to a certain kind of continuity of of, of concern, and I think part of that. Because when I first looked at the notion of, of translation uh, and, and ecology, it was in the, the globalization book in 2003. Uh, and there I was primarily uh, concerned, I was concerned with two things. One is I was absolutely gobsmacked. I was reading the literature in geography, political science, uh, urban development, uh, economic, and I could not find mention anywhere of the subject of, 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 of language uh, and language change because I, was, I thought to myself, you could not open a Starbucks anywhere outside the English speaking world. You could not sell Coca-Cola anywhere outside the English, you know, if you didn't have uh, the, the translational transaction. And um, so uh, what the central thesis of the book was is that right at the heart of globalization is translation. If, if translation stopped, the whole thing would, would cease. Uh, to, so that whole kind of revolution of externalization, which characterizes economic and social and cultural development in the, in the 20th century, right at the heart of it uh, is that you know, the, the translational uh, process. Um, but it had been utterly ignored um, by the, the, uh, the economists and the geographers uh, and, and so on. But then another dimension to that was, I was thinking about how, you know, uh, various uh, groups, I think, you know, particularly of, 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 of indigenous groups that, that define themselves, you know, in, in, the, in the kind of the, the contact zone um, with um, more powerful uh, languages. Um, and I was thinking about, um, it wasn't so much the fact of contact as the form of contact. In other words, that rather than positing some notion of kind of indigenous purity, you know, that, that, that resist the, the contamination uh, of, you know, contact with the, with the powerful other. Um, and, and this is the way in which, you know, minority groups often get, get, get caricatured, you know, um, as kind of ethno-purists, you know, stuck in their, in their kind of, their, their bubble, you know, Seamus Dean said, stay quaint and stay put um, that it, it, you know it wasn't so much this um, the uh, that the fact of contact it was it was how you negotiated the conditions of that contact and reciprocity um, you know who does the translation what do they translate what are the conditions you know who benefits uh, from the transaction and and so on so that was my, my kind of initial uh, understanding of it but then as, as I began to think um, more uh, broadly um, uh, 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 about this, um, I, I began to realize that really um, this concept had to be sort of uh, ex ex expanded or, 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 or reworked. And, and what happened was that I, I was re reviewing a book for the Dublin Review of Books, um, Rosie Bredotti's um, book on, on, on the post-human. Um, and and she, you know, she, so she, advances, you know, now familiar critique of, of human exceptionalism, that the, one of the reasons that we're in this kind of sorry ecological mess that we're in is that for uh, reasons partly to do with um, an understanding of particular biblical traditions and the and Cartesian dualism that, you know, where uh, humans become, you know, uh, masters and possessors of, of, of nature in, in, in Descartes' terms, um, that, you know, we, we get this human domination uh, of the, uh, the, 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 the natural world. Um, and so 
you know, she says one of the things about the ecological crisis is that you know it's the abject failure of, of this, the, 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 this 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 model. And what we need to do, uh, she argues, is to decenter uh, anthropos. We, we we've got to conceive of humans as a uh, an entity that, that then relates to uh, other uh, entities uh, surrounding uh, the human. Um, so the question of, of relationality becomes uh, central in, in a lot of kind of post-human uh, thinking. So uh, I suppose I began to think about this. I thought, yeah, yes, but what will, what constitutes the nature of that relationality? Um, that basically, if I'm talking about some form of transversal subjectivity, thinking about myself in relation to the more than human uh, world, um, well then I'm, you know, what I'm thinking about or talking about is communication across difference. Right? Uh, and if I'm talking about communication across difference, isn't one of the areas that we've got to look at uh, a discipline of inquiry that for, you know, uh, for millennia has been thinking through this question uh, of, of communication across difference, uh, which has been people thinking about uh, translation of one kind or the other. Um, so in, in more recent years, my, my work has really been trying to, to, to think through what the implications of that are. Um, in other words, um, one of the things that, that, that I, I've been thinking about is that, you know, we, we often think about the biosphere as the, 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 the kind of the, the collection uh, of all um, the, uh, the living systems that we have on the, on the planet, we, and we, we've, we've got to kind of um, be mindful uh, of how we, we maintain the interaction between these different uh, living systems. We talk about linguosphere in terms of the different uh, language communities that exist. Uh, on the planet. Um, and in, in, in that 2017 work on eco-translation, the notion of the, 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 the tradosphere, which is basically, how, if, if we think uh, of our, our relationship um, with the more than human uh, world, with, with other organic uh, uh, entities and with the, 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 the inorganic, um, how do we think, how do we communicate? Um, if we, we, we know that, that, that all entities are capable uh, of, of, of storing, interpreting and transmitting uh, information, um, how do we establish uh, forms uh, of uh, informational uh, connection and understanding? And uh, in other words, how do we conceive of a notion of, 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 of a tradosphere um, and one that's sustainable? Because one could argue that one of the reasons that we're in the kind of the ecological mess that we're in is that the systems of communication have broken down. That, that for example, uh, there, there's obviously been a catastrophic failure in interspecies communication uh, because we're killing species at an unprecedented uh, level. Um, so one of the, um, I, I suppose, uh, sources of uh, inspiration or thinking uh, for me um, has been uh, a number of uh, French uh, theorists um, who have um, thought or reflected on, on, on the question of, 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 of the animal um, and thinking, um, you know, how would we develop, uh, a, you know, a sense of, of communication, how do we develop translation systems um, that will uh, allow for a sense of, uh, of communicability, allow for a sense of relationality, uh, but don't fall back on uh, older systems of anthropocentric and anthropomorphic uh, domination. Um, so uh, th this is if you like, what, I, what I'm, I'm tr trying to, 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 one of the things that I'm, I'm exploring at, at present. So um, this uh, new book that's uh, coming out of Cambridge um, that I was lucky enough to get a sneak preview of there in um, proof form. Um, you know, I read it over the weekend in one, one quick go and I, something that struck me is that um, you're a practitioner of a genre that I like a lot, which is, we might call the academic novella. That is, um, uh, it's not a big, um, what we think of as a usual monograph that you could use to you know, prop up your computer or the door, but um, uh, but it's also not an article. It's I suppose is it the tradition of the essay really the extended? Uh, to me, it seems more of a continental form than an Anglo-Saxon one. Um, but maybe just before we talk about the content of the book, you might say something about that. Yeah, I suppose I was I, one of the things that always attracted me, Barry, with with French 
publishers, they, 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 one of the forms they had was almost like, almost like the extended pamphlet. It was a, a very long, polemical or engaged essay. And I found these um, extremely uh, useful or as effective as, as sources of ways of, of thinking. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that I, I found them attractive is that I've always been concerned, I think, in, 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 in writing um, with the, with writing itself, um, with the, the the actual the shape of the sentence and the sound of, of the words, the um, you know how the paragraph looks or, 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 or falls, um, and back in the, the early two thousands, I did a book called Time Tracks, which was basically looking at changes in Irish life through a series of of different objects like biscuits. Um, and uh, a cup of tea and uh, Dublin uh, buses. Um, I wanted something that was a kind of uh, what I call um, an autobiography of objects rather than an autobiography of subjects. You know? So, um, and uh, so that that was really a, a book that was trying to think through uh, changes in, in 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 Irish life using a, a the kind of I suppose a form that looked a bit like the the, the, the memoir, um, but conversely, I think in in my uh, intellectual life, um, I want to use forms of of, of writing that are probably closer uh, to maybe forms um, of uh, literary fiction or um, that. And, and I think to some extent, one of the things that I find greatly heartening. In, in the contemporary moment, uh, when I look at people like Mark O'Connell uh, or uh, Sinead uh, Gleeson or Ian Mullaney, um, it's the extraordinary kind of vibrancy of Irish nonfiction. You know? And uh, to some extent, I suppose, I identify very strongly with that, that, that kind of, of, of writing. Um, I think it's partly to do as, as well with something that you might know, have to mention as a, as a very important part of of, of my work, I think, in, in the university is, is a very strong political interest, a strong political in, engagement in, in uh, issues, you know, right from my kind of student years uh, to, to now. Um, and so therefore wanting to use a form of, of writing that's going to uh, uh, allow me to uh, in, engage uh, in forms of public debate. I mean, I, I think that the, the notion of, of, of the public intellectuals, which of course, you know, is, is very strong, the, the French tradition, again, was one that I, I've, I was often drawn to. Um, and I think that whereas in Ireland, um, business tradition has been very, very much dominated by historians, um, it's, it's important that, that those of us who work in, in, in other areas, and in particular, <laughs> I would like to stress modern languages, um, I think it's absolutely crucial um, that we too become part uh, of that public debate because one of the things that I, I was uh, astonished is um, how few uh, public and uh, how few um, academics from modern languages gotten involved in uh, some of the public you know debates around uh, around Brexit and so on because um, despite the fact that you know um, modern languages academics are, are the ones you know who were constantly at, at the coalface of the coalface of that uh, linguistic interaction so um, so I think that's that 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 the the writing itself um, and uh, writing in, in in a way that uh, allows for uh, communication with, of course, observing all the rules around uh, academic uh, rigor and, and and evidence. I think that goes without saying, but um, it's, it's, it's always been important for me. I would say, as a reader of um, these, I suppose, extended pamphlets, um, one does feel very addressed um, by them, and there's something um, there's a way in which the reader is treated with uh, a dignity that um, that is is it certainly really adds to the pleasure of reading. Um, and especially, and I think it may be connected, in fact, to the point you made about modern languages, that um, you can bring together um, insights and frameworks from a variety of non-Irish and non-Anglophone literary traditions that help us understand ourselves much better. I would, uh, before we go to questions, I'd just like to ask you a bit about more about the content of that really fascinating book. I see in the in the kind of the the formal Cambridge stuff at the front, it's, it says definition or genre or something, and it, it says travel writing. Um, uh, and it, in some ways it is a theory of travel writing. Uh, it's, in some ways it's a history of travel writing, um, but it's 
also about mass tourism in the age of the Anthropocene, but not in the way you'd expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I was trying to, <clears throat> to do in, 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 in that book, I mean, it was um, basically tr trying to just argue how central travel writing has been to uh, our, our notion of the environmental imaginary. I mean, uh, and this is partly to do with, I, I think, a, a certain presentism which haunts our, our, our reaction to travel writing. We, we, we tend to think of travel writing now as, as you know, a form of escape, leasure, and, and, and so on. Whereas for, for centuries, it was a crucial aspect, crucial source of where people got their uh, information about the rest uh, of, of the world. So I think one of the things was, was, was trying to uh, look at how um, travel writing formed or shaped people's uh, environmental or ecological uh, imaginary uh, in an initial stage in, in a kind of uh, a mixture of kind of curiosity but and extractivism you know how, how to kind of um, to prep the world uh, for exploitation mm -hmm. um, and then the, 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 the later period is travel writing uh, acted as a form kind of an early warning system um, that mm -hmm. when, uh, and you can see this with, with works from the, the late uh, 1940s, which sold millions of, of copies, um, uh, where uh, you, you find people like uh, Van Voigt and, and, and others who are using travel writing as a way of alerting people to what is happening uh, around the, 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 the planet in terms of in, in the uh, in environmental catastrophe. Um, so, but I, I suppose fundamentally, what interests me um, about uh, the travel writing and is how basically one of the things that travel writing is, is inviting us to do is um, to think um, about how uh, we as, as, as travelers um, are sort of um, increasingly kind of implicated uh, in and the environmental crisis, right? Um, and this, you know, it, it starts in the kind of critique of, 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 of mass tourism, the kind of the, the, the ecological consequences, the depredation of, of, of mass tourism. Um, but I think in, in, in more recent uh, times, um, and with the you know, current emissions from, from flights and, and so on, um, we find uh, that the, uh, the, the, the question around, it, it's not so much, you know, is uh, travel, um, you know, uh, spoiling our experience of different parts of the planet. But, you know, is there something ontologically about travel itself, right, that is uh, fundamentally uh, destructive? And if that's the case then, um, and, and we've had you know, a really vivid illustration of this during uh, the, the pandemic. I mean, uh, probably one of the most uh, fundamental experiences for, 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 for all of us you know, has been these restrictions around travel and having to reflect on the nature of travel, uh, the centrality uh, of travel uh, to, to our lives, and then trying to uh, imagine a kind of um, a post-pandemic paradigm uh, for, for, for travel itself. Um, because to some extent, you know, if, if we see the pandemic as fundamentally a kind of subset of an ecological crisis, it's a zoonotic disease, it, it jumps, I mean, its, it's, it's, it's roots are in uh, forms of ecological uh, destructiveness and the kind of the revolution of externalization that Virilio talks about for the 21st, for the 20th century. Um, then, um, you know, once we're vaccinated and we can travel again, um, the problem doesn't go away. The, 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 the problem uh, remains. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do in, the, in this book is to tease out or think through uh, other res responses to this, um, such as the notion of proximate uh, travel, you know, where you, you stay uh, in a particular place and you begin to travel uh, downwards, you begin to travel vertically uh, rather than horizontally. Uh, how do we think of uh, virtual uh, forms of travel uh, and their uh, sustainability? Um, how do we, do we begin to think of a notion of um, nomadic frugality, um, of kind of curating? You know, so it, it seems to me that because um, travel is and remember, you know, after oil and um, drugs, that uh, tourism is the world's biggest item of trade. So it's it's it, 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 so it is absolutely enormous as 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 a dimension to uh, to human human experience. And we are now faced 
I think with these very real and urgent questions. So what the book is trying to do is to, is, is to explore um, our you know uh, options and think and and, and I think just. To conclude on on, on that, um, one of the things I wanted to do as well in, in in that book was to kind of rethink the notion of, of multiculturalism, and because we tend to think of multiculturalism in terms of you know uh, human languages, human cultures, that when you travel, it's a question of encountering you know different languages, uh, different cultural experiences, uh, different aesthetic experiences, and so. But I wanted to 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 think about the more than human world, um, that that when we travel, um, our encounter. Uh, with uh, other landscapes, uh, other species, uh, other ways uh, of uh, interacting with that more than human world, and, and to, to kind of explore a notion uh, of the, 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 the multicultural, intercultural contact um, that, that goes beyond the human to the, 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 the more than human. I've, I have loads more questions about all of that, but I think we've, I better let um, other people in now. Um, so we have Aidan O'Malley, who I know is um, over in Zagreb, and um, he asks, as you're talking about styles of writing and public engagement, I was wondering if you might say something about the impetus behind graph, which was a great intervention in the Irish cultural debate. So what about graph? Okay, uh, many thanks for that, uh, Aidan. That's, that's bringing me down a memory lane. Um, so uh, a magazine that we, we started in, in the mid 1980s, which was uh, launched by uh, Terence Brown, who literally gave a speech, not so much from the bar as on top of the bar um, in, in the, the stag's head uh, in, in, in Dame Lane. Um, and the, the sort of the idea behind that um, was that we wanted to, um, uh, I suppose to, to, to break down uh, these silos that we found we felt were, were in Irish cultural debate, that, that there was people who talked about uh, continental uh, Europe, about foreign languages, foreign literatures, and there was people who talked about uh, Irish language and Irish literature, and there was people who talked about Irish English uh, language and uh, literature, um, and that you know these were kept kind of in in, in very separate uh, areas. Um, and it was um, so. What we wanted to do um, was to, uh, to to bring all of these different, all of these. Uh, it, again, some sort of kind of translational paradigm that I was talking about earlier, you know, to the, the kind of the microcosmopolitans, the cosmopolitanism uh, from below. We wanted to, to, to do that. We also, I think, wanted to make voices. At the, at the time, there was a terrible kind of um, tyranny, a kind of statist consensus about what could be said about all kinds of different issues. And this is because of the, 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 uh, the troubles, um, which was this curious kind of alliance between very, very conservative uh, forces in, in Fine Gael and Fine Foyle, uh, and then the Workers' Party completely dominated the Irish Times and, and RTE. Um, and so we had this curious kind of, kind of muzzling uh, of um, attitudes and opinions that didn't conform uh, to, so that it, was, it was to break with, with that as well. And also, um, I know this sounds strange now, but you know, uh, in in the mid eighties, um, with people like uh, Avery Welsh and Emma Donoghue, um, who were writing about uh, sexual difference and diversity and and and, orient and these kinds of debates, these were the first time they were, they were sort of uh, getting into the kind of uh, the, the form of 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 cultural debate. Um, so to some extent, I mean, I, I used to always think, you know, that the um, crane bag and the Irish uh, Review, which I, I suddenly was quite of for a while, um, they were are kind of well-behaved cousins <laughs> and, um, that uh, graphs sort of as kind of um, unruly um, and um, but I, I think you know undisciplined uh, in, in, in the, the true sense of undisciplined of, of wanting to bring in as many different areas of, of inquiry as, as, as possible and um, you know it, 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 it ran this course for about, about 10 years um, and, but it was a very important uh, I, I think for all of us in, in, involved in, in terms of, of providing some kind of, of, of forum for, 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 for a rambling house. Um, exactly, a rambling yeah. house. Yeah. So we have a couple of questions about the Irish language. One about um, uh, from Jacob Gleeson about uh, how the decline of the Gaeltacht is related to the eco crisis, and another one from Irene Duffy Lynch who asks how important is the language to our identity as a people. And I suppose one way to put these questions together might be to say, um, what is the 
the role, the current role and future of the Irish language in Ireland, both in a, in a very straightforward sense um, and also maybe um, in a symbolic sense too. What is, has the, the meaning and role of Irish changed? Is it changing or where is it headed? Yeah, I suppose, I mean, one thing I was trying to look at in, 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 in Irish and ecology uh, was again, look at a kind of wider debates um, in uh, around ecology, which is to do with the, the, the importance uh, of, of, of place, right? That, that, that a concern for, 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 for place that, um, that Wendell Berry, you know, says that, um, that in, in order to, to, to care about a place, in order to, to, to love a place, there has to be something particularizing. Um, he said that, you know, basically, uh, if you love uh, everybody, you love nobody. That 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 love is always a particularizing gesture. It it, it you know it, it has. Um, so it's it's affection for a particular river, affection for a particular tree, it's affection for a particular uh, place. Um, and I began to think, well, what would give you the kinds of uh, instruments? What would give you? the ability to think about, to name, or to describe uh, a place. Uh, and it seemed to me that in the case of, of Ireland, that was preeminently be, be the Irish language, because one of the things the Irish language has been doing for over 2000 years, it's been mapping, it's been describing, it's been telling stories uh, about places uh, all over the country. Uh, and that includes urban spaces as well as, as rural spaces. You know, uh, I teach an institution that um, when I go out, one of the entrances, I go out to Sraj Harborfarig, and so the, the Patrick's Well, where they, um, I live in a city, both the names of the city refer to water, Balliochlia, uh, Dublin. So I'm, su I'm surrounded by watery names uh, once I begin to map it in, in one of the languages. And of course, one of the things that tells us is just how important uh, these elements are the sustainability of our water system for the survival uh, of the, 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 the city. So it's basically the kind of the, the, the idea that um, what it seems to me is absolutely crucial uh, in terms of the viability and sustainability uh, of, of, of placed-based uh, economies and cultures um, is that particular knowledge and that particular knowledge has been uh, provided to us for over uh, two, uh, two, two millennia. Um, and uh, so to that extent, I feel that the, the kinds of um, arguments that have been traditionally advanced uh, to uh, argue for the importance of Irish, which have been you know, very much bound up with, with uh, national uh, identity, um, uh, the notion that you know, one is not fully Irish, uh, if you don't uh, speak the Irish language and, and, and so on, you know, speak, you know, part of the kind of the, the nation founding and, and building uh, project is, um, it, it seems to me now in the current moment um, that we, we need a new kind of, 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 of language for the language, new kind of uh, language for uh, Irish. And, and, it's, and it's what I, I call this notion of, of post-national ecological sovereignty. I mean, uh, going back to the 1916 proclamation um, and the, the, you know, sort of the, the, the founding fathers of the state um, talking about the, 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 the unfettered right of the Irish people to, to sovereignty over um, the uh, the island of of Ireland. Um, the, 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 there's not much point in claiming that territorial sovereignty if the the, the territory is actually disappearing under our feet, as it, as is happening with with coastal erosion. Um, so it seems to me that 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 you know having Irish as part of a project of ecological sovereignty, which is the, the sustainability. Um, uh, of the 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 the, the island um, as as a place that's kind of knowingly inhabited and 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 described. Uh, I, I think this this can be something that would be very uh, powerful, if only because one of the things that it it, it does is allows us to bring in different traditions, um, such as the kind of the 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 the, the field. Uh, study a uh, tradition that was <clears throat> predominantly uh, from the uh, Protestant uh, cultures in Irish, and then the kind of Shamachus religious tradition coming from Catholic culture. So it's a, it's a way of, of sort of bringing together uh, different traditions. But crucially, it seems to me at the heart of this um, is uh, the question of, of of language, because it seems to me one of the reasons that we have performed quite catastrophically <clears throat> when it comes to the, the question of ecological stewardship 
in, in Ireland is because of the trauma of, of, of language displacement. Um, as, as you, you know, described so vividly in your own book, uh, or in, in Languages of the Night, when you're thinking about your, your Mayo forebears, you know, what happens when a people uh, suddenly decide they're not going to, to hand on a language uh, to their descent, the, the, the language that describes every single interaction they've had uh, with the human and more than human world uh, around them, um, the, 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 the human, but also the ecological consequences, like me, is, is, is quite catastrophic. And I suppose there's different forms of uh, homogenization and um, language replacement, and, um, and we may are seeing another version now, which yeah, I suppose Irish may have a role to play. But I guess I want to go back to everybody else's questions. Or some, um, so this is on a completely different topic, and it's really um, about publishing and um, uh, ideas. So it, Gary von Boldren says, how do academic writers gain more exposure in uh, public conversation? That's Yeah, uh, well, I, I think, you know, part of the reason or when these can, can facilitate that exposure is, is as we were describing earlier, I mean, I, I think you've got to, you know, where possible, um, use uh, a, a language that is part of, you know, the, 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 the common words of the tribe, you know, that, that um, where you can uh, communicate uh, to, to people. I think secondly, and it's also a certain degree of self-belief. I, I think that one of the things that academics need to be aware of um, is that you know what they do is 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 important and 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 relevant in, in all kinds of ways that that that, that may not be uh, immediately uh, apparent. And I think this is maybe one of the things we need to think about in the, in the academy is how to make you know people more, more aware of that dimension to their activity. But it, I would have to say um, is that th there is a quite a difference in in different public cultures um, with respect to the acceptability of having um, you know a conceptual discourse in in the public sphere. I mean, um, I, I, for example, feel that in Ireland that we're extraordinarily ill served by a lot of our our, our, our public uh, media in terms of of these debates. I mean, I cannot understand where there's been an exponential increase in the educational qualifications and attainments of the Irish population, um, that the number of programs, for example, in the broadcast media, uh, the number of pages uh, in our, our, our devoted to, to, to literature and ideas in, in our quality papers are actually shrinking uh, mm. rather than expanding. Um, so, you know, wh why is there um, kind of uh, uh, and, and neglect of, of this, if only because, you know, my, my sort of lifelong experience of, of teaching uh, adults in, in, in various fora is there's an extraordinary appetite in Irish life for ideas. People just cannot get enough of it. Um, but, the, but what we find is that what passes uh, for public debate uh, in, in Ireland is, is people being shouted at uh, for, for 30 minutes. This kind of uh, hectoring form of, of verbal bullying is seen as an acceptable form of public debate. And whereas what strikes me when I listen to uh, Canadian public radio, French public radio, and so on, is that people are allowed to speak. And when they're allowed to speak, believe it or not, people are quite eloquent and they express things in a very clear and succinct way. Um, but, but not if they're kind of badgered into incoherence, um, which is surely not the way to go. Um, so I think to some extent, it's a kind of, a, it's a pull-push thing. Um, I think there's certain things that can be done uh, on, on, on our end, uh, but, I, I, but I also think there's a, radical, a need for a radical rethink of what constitutes uh, the, 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 the public sphere and spaces in the public sphere for uh, these forms uh, of, of conceptual debate, because unless we have those conceptual debates, we will not negotiate successfully a post-Brexit world. We will have no hope whatsoever of dealing with the absolutely radical anthropological and social changes that are needed to reduce uh, carbon uh, emissions. And also, um, how do we create a livable post-pandemic society? Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it, it, there's a really, it seems to be an urgent uh, need uh, for that. But, but many thanks, Gary, for that, for that question. Um, so there's a question from Christine O'Neill. Um, hi, Christine. Um, and it's um, it's not a it's a very suggestive question. And I'm I, 
<clears throat> I'm not sure um, what you'll make of it, but it's an interesting one, I think. And uh, what would, would you care to say more about whether some systems of communication have broken down or were they never built in the first place? And what I, what I imagine is behind Christine's question, I'm not sure that when you think of the end of the Roman Empire, that the, when the communication network um, fragmented and fractured, um, we had the birth of medieval Europe and new forms of linguistic diversity. I suppose that's the kind of idea that um, um, that might is is there something happening in the contemporary world that um, the public discourse is fragmenting or anyway take the question any way you want. Yeah. Um, no. I mean. I think one of the, um, the, the most um, in, in important responses to this, and, and, and I hope this doesn't sound too abstract, um, but I think it's what I would call the kind of the, the, the reparation of time. <laughs> um, uh, because one of the things about developing uh, classically, when one thinks, through a problem or discussing the kinds of things we've been talking about today, Barry, is that you know we, we, we move in a kind of a dialectical way, you're putting forward argument, counter-argument, and then seeing if there's some you know possible you know re resolution to move to a, another level of argument and, and and so on. And of course, the thing about this is that we need uh, time to do this. Um, but this is precisely what's been stripped away. Uh, from uh, many contemporary forms of communication, um, where there's a kind of spatialization. It's a kind of the, the it's, it's it's the instantaneous spatial representation uh, of of things, um, and that to kind of bring the just back the discipline of of time, both in terms of of just you know, uh, short term conversation, but then doing what the indigenous peoples call the seven generations thinking. Let's build a university. Let's build these. Uh, let's uh, construct forms of transport that will work seven generations from now and will not leave people with an intolerable uh, burden. So I think to some extent, it's, it's, the, it's the recovery of time is uh, what we, we desperately need to do in order to improve communication. So we'll take one um, last and quick question. I'm sorry I can't get to them all, um, everybody. Um, but since it's, uh, in Women's Day today, International Women's Day, we'll take this last one. Um, which some Giovanna Lima, and she wants to know, are there any women translators that stand out? In fact, one thing I was thinking myself is that um, translation has often been a, a job done by women and hasn't and taken the, been given the credit that it deserves, but we are in some extent entering a, an era, thankfully, of celebrity translators almost. Um, Anne Goldstein uh, translated the, the Elna Ferrante and um, the new translation of the Odyssey, Emily, Emily Wilson, but um, maybe take that again in any way, but some something to do with gender and translation, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, um, well, many, many thanks again for the question. Um, we are in fact uh, in the, the autumn um, organizing a, a full day seminars devoted to, 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 to Irish uh, women translators in, 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 yeah, in Irish translation history. But um, I, I, I'll be brief on this, and I know we're a bit pressed for time, but um, just to, to, to illustrate um, why this is such an important question, Marion Square, there's a statue of Oscar Wilde uh, looking across uh, to his old family home there uh, in Marion Square. There's a great big plaque uh, up to uh, William Wilde, um, his father, but there's no plaque uh, to uh, Jane Wilde, uh, Speranza, um, and, and this is a disgrace, um, a disgrace because uh, she was somebody who um, in the nation newspaper, primarily through her translations, became one of the most celebrated uh, female uh, poets uh, of her, her, her time and considered to be a very, very important uh, voice in, 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 you know, in, in building uh, a sense of, 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 of self-confidence and self-worth at, at the time. Um, and you know, she then go on to translate uh, Lamartine, one of the important leaders of the, of the French, 1848 revolution. Um, but crucially, what she did um, was she conceived of her notion of, of national self-respect and identity and so on in a transnational. It was, it was to do um, with a sense uh, of transnational uh, solidarity, not some kind of uh, kind of nativist, uh, inward-looking, ir irredentist uh, move. Um, so 
there are many, many other uh, women like Lady Jane Wilde um, whose uh, histories need to be made explicit and public because their contribution has been immense. Thanks, Michael. We could go on and on. I would love to just, um, this, we had another um, two hours of this, but um, we're at our time. So I'm just going to tip it back to Eve now uh, to wrap things up. Sorry. Uh, all right. Do I have to do? Yeah. Thank you. No, that's great. Thank you very much, Barry and, and Michael. I can see from the questions that you didn't get to that this conversation has just been stimulating for a lot of people. Uh, and Michael, you've raised questions that, you know, obviously there's no answer to yet uh, about travel after the pandemic, about the role of language in uh, global capitalism. I hope that you will come back and talk to us again in due course to see where we've got to on, on finding answers to these. But uh, an absolutely wonderful conversation between the two of you. So my, my thanks to Barry McRae and to Michael Cronin for giving us uh, some intellectual enlightenment this lunchtime. And thank you to Francesco Rafferty for organizing this session. Uh, and, and of course, thank you to everyone who's joined us, the two colleagues, and to guests. Uh, it's been great to have you with us. Thank you for the questions. And please do check the website and join us again. You may well want to come along tomorrow evening, that's Tuesday evening at seven o'clock for the launch of Trinity's new Centre for Resistance Studies, uh, which I think will be a forum uh, that will address some of the questions that Michael Cronin has raised with us today. Uh, but for now, enjoy the rest of the day. Everyone. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Taimuria Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The hub is for everyone. Here's to the next ten years.